Hello, I'm your host, Grayson Brolty. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders and innovators who make it all happen. If the future of mobility is important to you, join an SAE committee. They, they need the engagement, and it's a great way to get involved and shape the future. If you're interested, see the show notes for exclusive content on SAE.org and ways to get involved. We hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Jesse Snyder, CEO, CTO of Zev Station and chair of SAE's Wireless Charging Task Force. On this episode, Jesse will share insights from SAE standards about wireless power transfer of electric vehicles. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, very honored to be here and I very much appreciate the invite. We're excited to have you here because wireless charging is the future. And as you eloquently say, it's what comes after the plug. That's a brilliant way to look at this. And wireless charges is, is expanding from passenger car to to heavy duty. I'm really curious, Jesse, how will heavy duty wireless charging work? Just want to take a step back. The J2054 task force covers light duty and heavy duty. The standard is out and published for light duty. And we just published a TIR for, for heavy duty, the J2054-2, which is the first level. So they both work the same way that you've got um, wireless charging has is like a transformer without an ion core. It has a primary or ground assembly and a secondary coil or vehicle assembly, and that is tuned with a, with a capacitor to a specific frequency. And as long as the coil is either the same topology as SA2954 or proven out in a performance way, it can actually transfer power over an air gap with high efficiency. You mentioned the standard. I'd say I have a class six truck, a class eight truck, and... Uh, something in between a, bo- a box truck, for example, when you have the standard that will work across all of those, so an individual operating an industrial logistics arm doesn't have to put three different versions of wireless charging in place. Let me let me say that uh, we're planning for application use, like so for trucks, uh, they'll have one type of coil, and, and for buses may have another type of coil. So for each application, we're planning to have an interoperable coil, very much like light duty with light duty. Uh, whether it's a small vehicle or a sport utility vehicle, they, there's an opportunity to charge. Wow. Where will the power come to charge? Will these individuals in the, in the industrial environment or a bus depot, will they have to put in microgrids? Will they have to get a bigger line from the transformer? How, how, where will the power come from? So wireless power transfer is just that, or wireless charging. It's, 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 tr- it's charging over an ear gap. Uh, so it's the same, the, the power source is exactly the same as DC fast charging. But a general rule with DC fast charging, as soon as you get over hundreds of, of kilowatts, you're going to start, you're going to have to start thinking about some storage or if you, you know, you can capture as well as renewables and things like that. How will that be deployed in the field? Will it be built into the roads? Will it be built in on the depot? Will it be built into the ground of the depot where the vehicles go? How do you see it being actively deployed? Differently. So the, the interesting thing is that there's a lot of demonstrations already around the world for heavy duty buses. And in every instance for heavy duty, it's always either flush to the ground or, or slightly below the ground. And this emerging technology dynamic that's actually usually buried below the ground a few, you know, few centimeters. Will this go in new construction? Will this be retrofitted or how will it be eventually be installed? In terms of construction, in terms of vehicles, you know, these are mainly uh, targeted towards, you know, new, new vehicles. But keep in mind that the light duty standard is very evolved uh, and the TIR for heavy duty 
not everything is written, which means that, you know, it's anticipated that the automakers that are participating, the truck makers, I should say, that are participating are going to put them into their new trucks. And this, we're making a standard on, on how to transfer power. So that's up to the automaker. Do you eventually see perhaps a dedicated lane on the highway, an HOV lane could become a, a charging lane if you use, let's give you an example here, the port of Long Beach, San Pedro in Los Angeles to Fontana, which is a very known drayage route today. Perhaps there's an HOV lane that has charging there so you can meet the California goals for decarbonization. That's being planned in a few locations for demonstration today. So state of Michigan just announced they're doing a demonstration. There's something over in Oslo. So it's absolutely possible to do that. And there is discussion right now under an inland port in Utah to do exactly that. And it's up to, you know, California. Certainly there, there is a great opportunity for any sort of a repeated route for heavy duty vehicles, as you mentioned, like a port to put in the lane. Michigan, Norway, and Utah have a lot of things in common. One thing they have, it snows. They, they snow. get snow there. True. What yes. impact does the snow? Is it wowzers? We can't go today because there's snow on the ground. What's the impact? There's issues with conductive charging, with icing and things like that. Uh, but one thing that's really cool about wireless charging or wireless power transfer is that snow and, and water don't affect it's the power transfer. So you can it can be buried underneath uh, you know, a foot of snow and the vehicle could pull over and it'll transfer power. So that's another opportunity for autonomous vehicles and the like, um, and also human you know, you know, normal normal vehicles under all, all weather to be able to transfer power. How about lightning? Lightning is, is, is scary and lightning doesn't really get along with this stuff. What's the impact? Well, we're, we can't help you with that. You know, certainly lightning is, is uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, light, lightning and, and any other, you know, you want to make sure that you're uh, in a safe environment. But uh, no, it's these things are ground, you know, they're grounded on the ground assembly side and vehicles are grounded as they are. So from a high level technical standpoint, how can the energy go th- through the water, th- through, th- through the snow, which is basically water? What? Well, how, do, how does that work without causing any harm to the vehicle or any harm to the passengers in that vehicle? So there's been a lot of work done on safety from our task force. And how it's done is magnetic field. So it's the very it's the similar you know, theory of inductance. Basically, when you take two coils together, whether it be in a transformer or wireless power transfer, you have two, two, vehicle, two, two fields that are, that are generated. One of them is from the power and the other one is from the induced power. And... Um, how it's done safely is um, there's actually been a lot of work done to make sure that the the, tr- the magnetic field stays within and underneath the vehicle uh, so the passengers don't see it. And there's also measurements and requirements that are done in the standard that make sure that either during charging or, or anything else, there, that it never goes above what the levels of safety, which are in ICNUR. And there's also something interesting as well. Uh, we have detection. We have forward object detection, meaning if there are some keys on the ground or something metal. And we actually have living object detection, meaning if there's any, if there's any motion underneath the vehicle, that sort of thing, there's, there's options to, to detect and shut things down. We don't have to worry about our little friend, the squirrel, getting electrocuted then. So certainly we're not, the objective is <laughs> there's detection for motion. <laughs> we don't have a squirrel test, <laughs> but you know the the idea is uh, we've done that. But one thing, it, you know, there's an SE technical report done a few years ago that we tested with the uh, FDA inside their laboratory wireless power transfer 
with pacemakers, you know, certainly not not in a person, <laughs> but, you know, pacemakers to make sure that not only healthy people or should I say people without medical devices, but also people with medical devices are safe. So there's a lot of work done to make sure that driving up and parking are safe, but even in, in the car, that there's that, that everything is is, uh, is perfectly safe. All this standard work happens in committees, individuals such as yourself, you, you volunteer your time to come together to work on a standard. When you're forming the committee of the early days, even before you get to day one of the official meeting, what are some of those early conversations like? Is a colleague of yours coming with one idea, you're coming with another idea, and then the, as you as chair, you have to kind of try and massage it all together into a nice pizza? Is that how that process starts? So sometimes it's holistic, sometimes it's much more dynamic, but, you know, start the, the early days of wireless power transfer, there were a lot of, there was a lot of competing technologies and a lot of competing ideas with, between automakers and the suppliers. And it, it's more than cat herding. It took a lot of debate. And not only that, we actually did testing inside of national laboratories, Idaho National Laboratory, TDK Laboratory, to prove out that, that the technology will meet the criteria and interoperable. So to answer your question, it's not as easy as, as saying uh, in, a, in, a, in a simple way that we just debated things. We actually had to go out, find designs, test them, and, and prove to the committee that it works. Do all the members of the committee s- s- work on the technical aspects of it, or are there other individuals that aren't necessarily technical but have a vision that are participating in it? So, you know, SAE is free to all, uh, and um, we have, it is a technical committee, but we have folks that are involved that do strat, that are involved in strategy, uh, you know, st- strategy of powertrains. Uh, we also have, sometimes we have, as I mentioned, regulators that show up and want to know what, what's going on. But mainly it's a technical discussion with the objective of, you know, safe, fast charging over wi- wireless uh, gap. Will the SAE J2954 standard play any role as you start to scale this technology since that standard has been scaled and widely adopted across the globe? So glad you asked. So J2954-1 or by itself is the light duty standard. And it's it's been uh, reaffirmed last year. There's a new update uh, uh, from 2022. And there are already commercial applications. Uh, the Hyundai has the GV60. A few years ago, there was a demonstration from BMW and E530. And Tesla just announced actually that they're doing a wireless power transfer vehicle as well. So there's a lot of buzz around that light duty standard. And the heavy duty is what's being worked on right now. It's a guideline. And we're planning to do a testing trial with that G2054-2 heavy duty in the coming year. If you look at history, when Tesla first shipped the Model S, it really, in my opinion, ushered in the electric vehicles industry of where we are today. They, they single-handedly drove up and made consumers that, this is a cool vehicle. This is really cool. I, I want to yeah. drive electric. And that's what Tesla did. And they're a game changer. When they introduced wireless charging based on the SAE J2954 standard, does that change the game? Obviously, you have Hyundai with the GV60, but does that start to usher in all the other automakers where they don't want to be viewed from Microsoft playing catch up with Tesla. Oh, Tesla's doing this. We have to go in. Does that accelerate the adoption? So, so certainly in standards, we, we have, you know, my role with standards is to be agnostic of the automakers, but sir, absolutely 
Tesla really changed the game for the auto world. Uh, and people in the company countries, uh, excuse me, companies are still playing catch up, if you see. But I think that, you know, we, we'd be excited. Uh, so the GV60 right now is released in Korea, South Korea. We understand that it's going to be coming to the States at some point. But yeah, absolutely. It, it, when Tesla did a teaser at their investor days about wireless charging, and certainly when that comes out, it'll be um, a big motivator for us all to get into the technology. Yeah. And if, I know you can't answer this, but I'm going to say it's from a marketing perspective. If and when Tesla opens their drive-in movie theater that they're advertising in the Los Angeles, which oh, yeah. they put wireless charging in there, that's a great marketing way to drive the adoption of the standard. Absolutely. So if you're if you're sticking around for for an hour or two, that's plenty of time to charge your vehicle. <laughs> but that's a great great opportunity. Yeah. Outside of Tesla, from a standards perspective, will all vehicles be able to use the wireless charging system if the vehicle they own or driving is in, has the technology incorporated into it? That that's the intent, absolutely. So one thing that's cool, so conductive uh, world has a number of standards, you know, with 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 charging. There's Chatmo, there's Tesla, there's SAE. When we spent a long time working with other standards organizations from ISO, IEC, and GB to make sure. <clears throat> that there's one standard. So that means if you pull up to a ground assembly for, for light duty ground assembly, whatever, as long as you're SAE, you'll be compatible and you'll and you'll transfer power. Standards allow scalability. If you have three or four or five different standards, it's, it's not going to be scalable and then you're going to have a very mad consumer. Well, why won't this work? It says I have inductive charging. Why doesn't this work? And so hopefully that drives it to one standard. So you have the individual that's buying the vehicle, the GV60, for example, or if the Tesla does the wireless charging at some point, they're, they're coming from the factory. They're built with the, the wireless charging into them. How about the individual that has an older vehicle or perhaps a model year 22, 23 says, this is really great. I bought an electric vehicle. At some point, will they be able to retrofit their vehicles? And if so, will it meet the standard? Yeah, so you know we don't design for aftermarket. We just design the wireless charging. But I can tell you that there is already a company that is, in fact, a few examples of electric vehicles like the Mach-E or the Tesla that have been retrofitted. So it is absolutely possible. And as long as they follow the standard, you know, everything should work. When the individual, they're on their way home from work and they're pulling into their garage or they're pulling into their, their parking spot at their residence, are they going to have to neatly maneuver, okay, we've got to be right there, and then perhaps when they're in the garage, they, they hang a tennis ball to make sure, they put some paint down to make sure they're, they're in the right area, or is it going to be, okay, you can just pull in your garage and away we charge, similar to today? Yeah, to, to answer your question, certainly there's an alignment tolerance. It's much better than pure inductance, but, but the SAE allows for four inches each direction and gives you also communications to your vehicle on um, alignment direction. So you're going to get feedback uh, while you're driving. And also there's at least one development where you can actually get automated driving integrated as well. How great is that? You pull into your garage and say, okay, car park, and then it, it does it for you. That seems that that's where we're going. And if you look at on the other side, autonomy, now suddenly now you're scalable. You can eliminate what Cruise GM has, the robotic arms you can allow autonomy to scale with wireless charging. Do you see autonomous vehicles being one of the key drivers of this technology? The only way to really charge vehicles autonomously under all weather is with wireless charging. So certainly you can have a robotic arm, but you still have the same um, shortfalls of conductive charging with regards to ice and snow, things like that. But we think that it will help 
and already is is talk between automakers as well with you know driverless taxis and things like that that you can just put a pad in a place that, that it can charge and come back to every night and, and the beauty about this is if you have the depot manager on on the commercial side and perhaps somebody calls in sick you don't have to worry about plugging in it but on the personal vehicle owned side Oh, we're going on a road trip. Oh, I forgot to plug the car in last night. You don't have yeah. to. You don't have to worry about that. That becomes a game changer. There it is. You know. So in terms of, I mean, we think of if if you think of wireless charging as changing the game, it 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 does because all you have to do is look for the green light when you park. You know, make sure your you know things are charging and walk away, and it's transparent. And then when you know that you could bring that to workforce charging and and, and other places but yeah uh the idea is um it automates the process completely all you have to do is make sure that the process is started can it support two-way power perhaps you can run your coffee maker off it or if you had a hurricane or you lost power need or uh, you need to well uh, let's just say i do laundry everybody has to do it perhaps you can run your laundry machine this V2X, uh, it, sorry, V2Grid, V2G, um, is something that is in the conductive world. And we intend to add that also to wireless charging. There's already been some demonstrations from Honda uh, on doing that. Uh, it's very possible. So that will be added to the future standard. Yes. I'm not, I don't think it's specifically for an appliance, like a coffee maker, <laughs> but it's for the, it's actually, you know, V2G, vehicle to grid. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to give practical real-world examples. You mentioned add to a future standard. Is a standard a living, breathing document where if there's a new breakthrough in technology, the committee gets together and, say, adds point two, or if you want to use the ABC acronym, is it a living, breathing document that updates? It, it definitely is. So we're to a, uh, a standard level in light duty, I mentioned, and, and guideline for heavy duty, moving to recommended practice. But so... There's new things that are coming in. One of them is new alignment stand, alignment methodologies, for instance, and, and those will be added to the standard in the year. So absolutely, as new technologies come in, uh, the standards adapt. I, I play video games, so I have to ask to put in, the, in this, this tense. Is it backwards compatible if I have a, a vehicle that meets, let's say, standard one and then standard two comes? Am I still backwards compatible there or do I have to upgrade? The, the document... We we called it forwards compatible. <laughs> so, you know, but the the doc the document that we put out in uh, as a standard for 2054 is worldwide meant to be compatible. Since there's not a production vehicle out, I mean, since the production vehicles are coming now, uh, you can't speak about backwards compatibility. But the good news for automakers it gives that confidence that when you say the word standard, it can be adopted into a local code and turned into law. And that how do you uh, you know, so that's it's really uh, a powerful tool that helps start commercialization, to give that confidence of what's coming down the pipeline. Commercialization is good for the economy and makes the world run rounds. We're we're commercializing the tech. We have the, the standard that's looking to the future and adapting as technology changes. What does the maintenance look like? How how is this going to be able to be kept up? In charge, do you have to have somebody inspect it every day from a commercial aspect or in your home, you look at it? Or how, what does the maintenance look like? There is no maintenance planned. It's solid state. So there's there's standards for that are that have been done on the safety side from the UL standpoint, from the SAE standpoint, to make sure that it meets all the requirements of any sort of a appliance or device. But there is, you know, 
there's no maintenance plan for it. Certainly if, if there's some damage to it, it needs to be repaired maybe, but there's no, it's not, it's not a schedule. Yeah, your current business, your CEO and CTO of ZevStation, you've got a big focus on electric charging and hydrogen fueling stations. Way to go on the hydrogen. That's going to play a very large role here. Do you see wireless charging as the natural expansion of the Zev, of the Zev business of, of where you're going? Sure. Well, I'll just put my other hat on, you know, in terms of the startup <laughs> that, that, I, that I lead. Uh, so ZevStation is a small startup. Uh, we have an office in Palm Springs, California. We have also some DC charging that's going on right now and, and, a, and, a, and a fleet with FedEx uh, ground uh, ISPs. And, you know, we plan to expand to hydrogen as well. Uh, and we've made some announcements with Chart Industries. You may have heard they're the largest uh, industrial uh, supplier for the, the uh, for equipment uh, for for natural gas and also hydrogen. So wireless charging is because it's not yet mainstream, but we we see it as definitely for an opportunity, especially when you think about truck stops where you have not necessarily fast charging, but when you have trucks that are staying overnight. For instance, there's a really great opportunity for parking for dinner and that sort of thing to expand that. You can you can imagine trucks pulling up to a to a uh, you know to a, to a certainly they can do fast charging and, and DC fast charging. But you know there's a, a real big you know gap for electrification. What happens with trucks that have refrigerator trucks in the back that run all the time, and also what happens with trucks that, that stay overnight? Are you going to charge, go when you come in and then charge again when you go out? <laughs> and how do you bring those big cords out to a parking lot with trucks? You know, so that's the answer to that is that's where we believe things are going to be heading. But that's, you know, kind of the play after the next play. If you look at a truck stop, think about the amount of carbon that could be saved if they have the in, in wireless charging from idle time. These individuals that are sleeping in their, in their truck and they're running them just to, to stay warmer to power their appliances. This is a really great solution. They're not going to lose range. They're, they're going to be able to do their job really, really well. And they're going to cut down on carbon. This seems as almost the perfect solution. You don't have the cords running all around the, the yard. Right, exactly. We, th- we see that as, as being an opportunity, another, another market, so to speak. Certainly, there will be high-power charging, and there's, you know, there's, there's megawatt charging, things like that that's planned. But you know, wireless charging is, is something where, where you can place in a specific spot especially where, where those, you know, there are actually laws that are anti-idling is what you mentioned, right? So, so they're, they're, it's a really big opportunity to help in that market as well. The one thing about trucking, there's a lot of divide. Is it going to be electric trucks or hydrogen trucks? The bottom line is, in my opinion, hydrogen is going to play a, lar- a very large role, especially long haul over the road to the Covenant, the expeditors going cross country. Zev has a hydrogen strategy. What is your hydrogen strategy? You know, if you think about, Gasoline and diesel. <clears throat> we see charging really being taken over from take, taking over the gasoline, right? And there's right, this Friday, this last Friday, the, the the California Air Resources Board just approved the ZEV mandate for trucking, really saying the expiration date as well for heavy duty. You know, we have light duty that was also uh, uh, is also a law. But what we see right now is so light duty, medium duty, going charging and heavy duty split between the, the long haul and the short haul. And the long haul, we think, is going to go hydrogen because it's seven tons more battery. And it's simple math uh, in terms of the, between the two technologies. One shift operation 
for heavy duty can certainly stay charging, but there's an intersection between an electric truck and a hydrogen truck, and that is where they park at night. And so that's that's where I see as the technology we're talking about today, wireless charging being an assistance to to both of those tech, both of those markets. At the end of the day, they complement each other. I could see electrification working on drainage runs and long haul over the road working on hydrogen. When we when we have long haul over the road working on hydrogen, we're going to need fueling stations. Zevs is working on that. How are you planning to deploy hydrogen fueling solutions? So our, our intent is to is to make so certainly we have our first station, uh, you know, for uh, charging. We're looking to expand upon that, and our intention is to be off the highway uh, in rural charging and capture, you know cars and trucks off off major interstate trucking routes. And we've we've pulled up next to a, a large fleet owner, uh, FedEx, for instance. And we, we think that having a location next to a fleet is, makes a lot of sense off the highway as well to get the public traffic. You, you want that. Will you partner with a hydrogen provider? Will you, create, will you, will you store it or, or are you going to build the, the technology or what role are you going to play in this? No. So this discussion was about SE, but certainly I'll mention that, that Zev Station is planning, uh, as I mentioned, the, the equipment from from Chart Industries. And we, are, we already have a relationship with a large liquid hydrogen supplier uh, that, that's not yet public. But certainly the idea is if you're going to do a rollout of stations, with a lot of hydrogen on board, uh, really liquid liquid hydrogen is the way to go. Uh, certainly for smaller stations inside the city, you can do gaseous hydrogen. But as soon as you go with trucking, there's no other way of of doing things because it's a lot of it's many tons of hydrogen. Hey, you're clearly down the road. No pun intended. You're working on the SAE Committee on, on Wireless Charging. Your business is working to commercialize wireless charging, and you have a, a hydrogen strategy to complementing it. What role do you see Zev playing in this? Do you want to become the, no pun intended, the de facto standard in how fleets and individuals decarbonize? Is that where you're ultimately trying to go? We are a startup. We want to be part of the equation. And our objective is, you know, I worked, as you know, in the automotive industry, you know, over 25 years. And I, I came to realization everyone is building a Zev vehicle. But who's building the Zev station? And that question ringed for many years, and that was the purpose. So we are a B Corporation. We're environmentally motivated. And our objective is to have zero zero carbon sourced fuel for all the Zevs on the highway. So we would like to be part of the reason why we're meeting going to meet you know net zero. Uh, and that's a pure play. And certainly others will be retrofitting gas stations or you know that sort of thing, and that's part of it. But the idea for us right now is to is really to help with this new electrification push. I mentioned the ZEV mandate that's coming. Uh, we see this as the other side of the equation that needs to happen. It's a bold plan. It's a bold move. And you're backing up with a B Corp. You're a B Corp. You're putting your money where your mouth is. Yes. You're developing this. You're rolling up your sleeves. Wireless charging is merely just, I'm going to use the baseball analogy, it's merely in the first inning of where this technology is going to go and get adopted in scale. In your opinion, Jesse, what is the future of wireless charging? It's multifaceted. So it's, you know, and this is to keep in mind, there, there's many different use cases, but I think that there's an opportunity for taxis and airport taxis and things like that to to do wireless charging. And, and as they're creeping to waiting for customers and things like that, there's an opportunity to charge as they come back. There's an opportunity for single shift, you know, operations of, of trucks, for instance, or you mentioned drainage or somewhere where there's a 
a route that they constantly go 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 to. And certainly this overnight charging, it, it can't be avoided. I really think that it's not addressed now, but I really think that that's coming down the pipeline to re- help decarbonize really all zero emission vehicles. If an individual sitting here listening to this podcast and says, wireless charging's cool. I work at an auto company. I want to roll my <laughs> sleeves up. Can they get involved in the SAE 2954 committee? And if so, what do they have to do? Do they send you a note? How does it work? So Dante Radar is the SA representative for, for the committee, or for the task force, I should say. And definitely contact him uh, with the email provided. And it's, it's, it's free and it's open for all. And we really would encourage, some, especially if you're in the automotive industry, uh, also in the supplier industry, the infrastructure industry, and you'd like to get involved in this discuss, in this technology, uh, join, the, join the team, join 2954 Task Force. Roll up your sleeves for the listeners. We, we'll put a, a link in the show notes. And if and if you don't remember the link, you can always go to SAE.org and, and search it. Jesse, this has been a fascinating conversation around the future of wireless charging and the role standards are playing. We, we can't forget about the important role that hydrogen is going to play in decarbonizing as well. And as we look to wrap up this conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? Just the for, first, uh, I want to very much appreciate the, the invitation. Um, and I'd like to mention that you know, wireless charging is is really a technology that's coming. And, you know, if we are to meet our objectives to get to net zero, it's a cliche. It's not a silver bullet. There'll be applications where there's going to be conductive charging. Uh, there's going to be applications where there's going to be hydrogen. But there's also a look at applications, especially with autonomous vehicles, that wireless charging is going to play. So that's really where, where I'd like to leave as a message. As Jesse said there, and he said throughout this podcast, wireless charging will play a very big role in the future. Today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. The future is wireless charging. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we speak with Nexar's co-founder and CEO, who will share the company's computer vision solution to the dilemma of real-time mapping. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.